0: World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer, the show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling, from one man who lives it, and another man who loves it.
1: Territory marks is back, baby. Episode four. Oh my gosh! Episode four. It's uh, well, a lot of big news, actually. A lot of stuff to talk about in the intro to this. First of all, uh, welcome back, everybody. Paul, it's great to be with you as always. Per
2: great to be with you at the cusp of summertime. Yeah, I wanted to title
1: this Feel, 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 Feel My Heat because there's a <laughs> lot of heat. In this episode, there's a lot of heat in the, um, in the in the well in the summer right now. Uh, feel 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 my heat. I I think we should do that again. Feel 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 my heat.
2: You can't take the magic that's on those tapes. That's our magic. That's our magic is on those tapes.
1: Like it, like, it we we have to take those tapes. And we have to get them to the radio or whatever he says. Get the record deal to pay you the money. I don't understand why you can't understand this. That is an YP, not an MP. Your problem. YP, MP. I don't understand this inside jargon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what i trying to
2: remember. Oh my that, God. Man, you can't go wrong with old Reed and Dirk. No, you can't. No, oh, that's late 70s, I was going to say. Or would that have been 80s at the time? I think it was right on the cusp. Yeah, because that was into the bringing in the 80s, right? So like yeah. like, like later into the struggling years. I think this was like early 80s. Yeah, we would have to find out when Knight Rider or when, uh, yeah, whatever that song he's playing. Well, he's doing The Touch
1: originally. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. And we talked about this on the previous, uh, on the Cobra episode that Dustin and I did. You know, I want to know the history. I guess I got to watch the commentary on Boogie Nights to find out the history of why they chose the touch. Sure, It's pretty wild. This episode is a little, not delayed, but we have a new format on $2 Late Fee. We're, We're releasing an episode every single week now. So we have our main episode, then an interview with someone connected to the episode, Then the 2 dollars six question segment that's reserved for Patreon is now on the free feed so people can get a taste of it. And then we we end the month or begin the month, depending on where it falls, with territory marks. So here we are. Wow. So this episode just dropped after uh, our $2.06 question segment with Brian Thompson, aka the Night Slasher from Cobra. Yeah. In that interview, Brian, while well, he plays us a, a song on the piano. Nice. You guys got to check out the video on YouTube. It's it's wild. Um, and he talks about the show Key West. Key West, which was a sic- uh well, not a sitcom, a Fox show, an early inception of Fox. Did you ever watch Key West with um, no. Fisher Stevens?
2: No. Was that pre-Baywatch? Uh,
1: I believe it was. Yeah. Like right around the same time.
2: Interesting. The name kind of sounds familiar, but I feel like that would have been too adulty and too sexy for my young, like 10 or what year was that? Ninety.
1: 1993. So right around the same time of Baywatch. Oh, but yeah. Totally different premise. <laughs> totally different premise. It, it really quickly, Fisher Stevens plays a, a guy who like basically wins the lotto up in Boston and moves down to Key West to become a writer like Hemingway. And things don't go as planned. But uh, Brian Thompson plays the local sheriff in town, who's like this Zen yoga master. He's it's it's so against type and he is brilliant. So anyways, there's dolphin talking and all sorts of weird stuff in Key West. It's it's a wild show.
2: Yeah, I don't think 12 or 13 year old me would have been hooked on that. So I don't think that's probably why I didn't remember it or watch it
1: i don't think anybody was because it didn't last
2: long now you'll watch it i'd probably check it out i know brian is an interesting character so dude he is he's a trip uh so it's
1: it's it's fitting that this episode drops now uh it's it's july 4th weekend it's my son's birthday today july 2nd the the day that this episode drops so happy birthday to bodie um he turns number nine, magical nine.
2: Did you name him after the character in Point Break?
1: That I get that question all the time. And will, the what answer else? Is,
2: is he, right, I don't know. The,
1: no, it's uh, he's named after the the Bodhis, Bodhisattva, the Bodhichiva. I, I forget how you say it, but uh,
2: oh, the, very mystical, the Bodhi
1: tree. Yeah, he's very. named after the tree of enlightenment. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but I've i joked. I'm like, well, I I, I could have named him Dalton from Roadhouse. <laughs>
2: that would have been good too he would always be nice
1: (laughs) oh nice one there you go (laughs) feel my heat um i'm gonna be doing that through this whole thing I, i titled this feel the heat or feel my heat because um these matches that we have today have a lot of heat around them either in the ring outside the ring um behind the scenes in front of the scenes Blah 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 it's true i'm going first today because my match takes place in 83. Yours takes place in 87, I believe. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to get right into it with my match. Ring that bell. My match is the Von Ericks versus the Freebirds from July 4th, 1983. The 40th anniversary of this famous match. It was for the World Six-Man Championship belts. A belt I miss to this day. If, if they're going to bring back a belt that would be maybe the one of the belts that I would like. How about you? I mean, I
2: think, yeah, I, I think that's, it's it muddled, right? Um, today, I guess they would call it the trios championship, which, Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Lucha underground kind of brought back to the forefront. That's right. From its partnership with triple Cause I think it's always been kind of a Lucha style type, uh, championship, but, yeah, I don't, you know, I can't say I'm the biggest fan of like a six-man tag team championship because then it's, then there will be an eight-man tag team championship and then maybe a five, like, it's just true? You know, tag team seems to be like that kind of where it's at, unless it's something very specific. Um, True. I feel that there's too many titles in wrestling as it is. So that's just me, crabby old man, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you on that. But it is interesting, you know, it makes me wish that Demolition with Crush would have, they would have been like a six-man tag team championship. Um,
1: Yeah, did they use the Freebird rule?
2: I think so, but there really weren't any other three-man teams in WWF at the time, so. No. It was always kind of some like rock, paper, scissors. One of you sits out, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's true. It would have been nice to see. I liked Crush, by the way. Uh, Me too. When, when I liked that formation of Demolition, that was pretty sick. Absolutely. Um, and, and and if anyone's wondering what the Freebird rule is, w- wasn't it once they became like tag team champions that because there's three members of the Freebirds and we'll get to this in a second, um,
2: they would like swap out guys every now and then. I believe so. I mean that I'm trying to think back of. Prior, when there was uh, a triumvite of combatants, I mean, usually it was either like just a faction of multiple guys. or yeah. a team. So, you know, the freebirds in terms of American wrestling were certainly one of the first uh, triple kind of faction where they would all do the bad stuff. Um, I would think Buddy Roberts was usually the, the slight weak link of the bunch, but
1: he seemed to be that way. <laughs> you yeah. know. Well, so this is an interesting feud because, because world-class championship wrestling had, had been around for quite some time. Uh, actually Fritz von Erich, their, their father started the fed. Uh, well, it started way back when we're talking late sixties and, uh, it really hit its stride in like 82, yeah. And uh, Gary Hart, we talked about Gary Hart in a previous episode, and we will talk about him again for sure. He was like one of the bookers, uh, one of the masterminds behind many of the storylines in, in World Class. And Fritz's sons, he had, well, he had several, and we'll get to that as well in a moment. But his main sons that wrestled were Carrie, David, and Kevin. I think in the in 82 is when they really started coming into their own. And the Freebirds in '82 were somewhat of a babyface team: um, Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and of course Buddy Roberts. Uh, but in December of '82, when Kerry had a match against Ric Flair, Kerry Von Eric being the the modern day warrior, as they as wow. they titled him, um, he he battled Flair for the NWA title, and. The match was uh, interrupted and, and uh, altered because Michael Hayes turned on them. And suddenly the Freebirds became the most hated team in Texas.
2: In the South. Uh, well, I guess whenever they go to Georgia, they were big baby bases.
1: But. True. Yeah. 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 And Georgia plays a part in this as well. This feud would continue on over the course of the following year, 83. And in in the course leading up to this, Buddy Roberts uh, had a hair versus hair match versus Iceman King Parsons, and he <laughs> lost the match. Uh, Parsons put Nair on his hair, basically the hair cream, and removed it all, made him a baldy. And so he would wear a wig with uh, with headgear on on top of it to conceal his bald head. And so that was the reason why you'll see in this match or when you watch this match. And of course the links are in the show notes. uh, He's wearing headgear throughout and this feud kind of culminated in July of 83. So this is interesting too. If you go into the show notes of, of like YouTube and online, they say one says it's at the Dallas Sportatorium. Another one says it's at Texas stadium. Um, we believe that it's probably at Texas Stadium or yeah, something like that.
2: Sportatorium has a very distinct look where it, it, you can tell it's not an outdoors feel to it. It's very much a smaller, dingy kind of, I don't even want to say arena. It's more like, it was like a bigger, bigger bingo hall-ish type. I mean, it was Sportatorium. It was kind of a, a hall, a giant hall, but it was old and it was bigger than like say a bingo hall, but not quite an arena. Yeah. So, yeah, but very distinct look to it. And this, this very much is Texas stadium as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has a bigger feel to it than the the, the sportatorium really quickly. If you guys want to know more about world-class and we will continue to talk about them through the episodes, of course, uh there's a great documentary called Heroes of World Class. I actually put that link in the show notes too. It's free on YouTube. It, it it has footage that uh the WWE I don't think ever got and it interviews that the WWE never got. It is most it is the most exhaustive documentary on World Class and the, the Von Erichs and the whole history of the promotion uh that I think you'll find out there. It's very hard to watch because the story of the Von Erichs is is a is a sad one. It's super tragic we're not going to talk about that today um because pretty much after this match later on in the year was like the downfall of the family due right. to David Von Erich dying tragically in Japan uh either at the end of this year or the beginning of the following but the Von Erichs were were the top babyfaces they were huge and the and the freebirds were hated for what they've done to the Von Erichs causing Kerry to not win the title you know Kerry David and Kevin equally had their own, like, look and kind of gimmick and vibe about them. Carrie was the long-haired, warrior-looking dude. He was chiseled from top to bottom. David was more of, like, the the beefy brawler guy. And then Kevin was the uh, barefooted, you know, martial art hero, um, you know, before some other current wrestler use the uh, shoeless gimmick. Uh, he was barefoot in the ring and just a total badass. All three of these guys were equally badasses, I, I must say. Um, and Fritz did a lot of the talking for them for their promos and such because they weren't the strongest with gimmick promos. But his dad, their dad, was. He was the faceplate of the company, and um, you know he 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 sold them very well. The Freebirds were killer at promos. In fact, they were. <laughs> like amazing uh in many ways their their promos are, are, are probably watched by future wrestlers to kind of study because they knew how to generate heat they generated heat like no other team down in Texas uh, at the time one guy in particular Michael PSAs has a history of not being the most genuinely good guy uh, <laughs> I don't know about Terry Gordy and buddy Roberts but definitely Michael PSA's he's dirty looking and I think that the, that look fits him to a T. Uh, I hadn't seen this match until much later on in my wrestling lore. Uh, my first introduction to the Freebirds was in the movie Highlander back in like '84 or whenever that movie came out. I'm like, who? Well, who are these guys? Who's this hairy guy with with his dance moves? All sexy dance moves. It's gross, but he's somewhat appealing. Um, is
2: that Highlander movie? Is that what? Or which which Highlander is that? In the first Highlander. Really, they appear. In
1: the, what? <laughs> Yeah, Connor McLeod goes to a wrestling match.
2: And... Oh wow! Okay, so at least it's in the context of them being wrestlers, not just like oh,
1: yeah. And it's great. It's great. I forget what Queen song is playing when they're wrestling. It's not the
2: Highlander song that like Queen did. Like they did the but theme song.
1: Here
3: we are.
2: Yeah, yeah. I love that song. That song, "Princes of the Universe," the Highlander. But uh, but
1: yeah, this match with the Freebirds and the Von Erichs—you know, top babyface, top heels—colliding in July.
3: most prestigious titles in the world, the six-man World Tag Team title. Best two out of three falls, 60-minute time limit. Introducing first the very worthy challengers from Lake Shenton's total combined weight, 749 pounds, the fabulous Von Eric Carey David and Kevin! And across the ring, the Pelopids, the World Tag Team Title Champions, the free birds from Atlanta, Georgia, Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, combined weight 791 pounds. David Manning, your referee.
1: This match from the onset generates heat because the Freebirds come to the ring and they come to the ring in Texas to the theme song of Georgia by Willie Nelson. (laughs) You hear the crowd just like, boo! You can hear specifically so many just guttural, oh my God, you know, that's the last song you want to hear when a team is coming to the ring. They come to the ring with their stars and bars on their, um, adorned on their, on their robes and, uh, you know, their Confederate flags. And of course, Mark Lawrence, the commentator, is like, Oh, the beautiful robes of the Freebirds. Look at those beautiful robes. And uh, <laughs> he's like, Wow, he really loves his robes because he gets to carry Von Eric and he's like, Look at that beautiful robe by carry Von Eric. Yellow Rose of Texas. um, They come to the ring, obviously, get booed out of the building. And then the Von Erics come to the ring to LaGrange by CZ Top, which know i played that at at the onset of the episode it's just a, it's a kick-ass song it's just so good and they come to the ring and they do some kind of moves with their body too to generate some buzz um and you know the the match overall is amazing this match is the best two out of three falls match for the world six man championship the the Freebirds were the title holders at the time This has a happy ending, folks, unlike many of the matches we've chosen in the past. (laughs) But um, the match starts with David Manning uh, as the referee. And David Manning gets copious (laughs) shout outs throughout this. David Manning was one of the main referees in world class. I wasn't familiar with him that much until I saw the documentary Heroes of World Class. But um, he was the Tommy Young of world class championship wrestling. right? The match is a brawl fest. It is just like sloppy punches and bear hugs and uh, not a lot of, like, technical moves. There are some cross bodies. There are some kicks. There are some splashes, but nothing too flashy. The first bout is won by the Freebirds when Terry Gordy pins David Von Erich with a cross body after a quick tag by Roberts. Like, Roberts had been in the ring the whole time and then quickly tags without, obviously, David Von Erich seeing. So it was like a sneak attack.
3: Gordy as he went by. Look out! Here's Gordy coming off, flying with that tackling plan three, and the freebird strategy paid off as Roberts tag Gordy going by after thrown over. Gordy came off the rope, diving on top and getting the pin.
1: And this is interesting too, and we can talk about this: why, who gets pinned, and whatnot. Um, yeah, Gordy pins David Von Erich. <laughs> and then there's there's like they give him a short break like a two like a minute break match picks up again carrie von eric eventually gets in the ring and he's wrestling buddy uh buddy roberts and Kerry von eric with the help of david von eric do like a clothesline david's on the outside of the ring uh, carrie's on the inside of the ring and they clothesline buddy roberts together and they get the quick pin while kevin von eric is putting the claw on uh terry gordy in the other side of the ring the claw being the von eric's like finishing maneuver a brawl ensues after this match it's a full-on slobber knocker as jim ross would say and um david von, david manning gets on the mic and he scolds both of them both teams it's hilarious he like scolds them he's like we're not gonna have this this is a championship match, and and you know, I have no problem disqualifying both teams if I have to. And to help me out, I'm gonna bring in Bronco Lubic.
3: Come on, Eric to draw David to David Manning has the microphone. No, you listen up. This match is for the world title. It's tied up one ball apiece. There are rules in this match and that means you tagging it out. I'm not going to go for six men in this ring at one time. Any more outbursts like this, I don't care how important this match is, I will disqualify the party that's involved. Well, this is the third and deciding fall. I'd also like to ask Bronco Lubitsch to come to the ring so we can have two referees in this fall. All right, you can see who's protesting the most. That's fine with about Von the one, two have to
1: break the rule. Crowd goes wild. Bronco Lubich was a veteran wrestler turned referee for world class as well. And so now they've got two refs in the ring at the same time, which I had never really seen up until that point. I thought that was pretty cool. Eventually, as, as the third fall commences, uh, David yeah. Manning gets knocked by Kevin Von Erich really hard and he falls out of the ring. It's a pr- and, he, and he falls out of the ring pretty hard as well. Eventually, in this melee muck, Kevin ends up uh, pinning Michael Hayes with a crossbody to finish the match, and uh, the Von Erichs win the championship. And a big trophy,
3: by the way. Oh, Kevin races up and grabs Hayes! He's got a pin! One, two, three! The winners of the six-man world KT team championship, Terry, Kevin, and David by Eric. It's pandemonium in front of 12,000 screaming maniacs. The Three Birds' most prized possession has been taken away. Look out! Gordy is throwing a stairway into the ring. And now it is really getting wild. Well. Kevin Von Erich was down on the side of the ring. And he reached up and grabbed the and three birds, causing him to fall. A move we've seen the three birds to get away with the before. David Manning came off the course. gave us the count of three.
1: And that's the end of the match. Mark Lawrence, like I said, was on commentary. Uh, most of the time, Bill Mercer was like the main guy at world class. But Mark Lawrence, who went on to become a Baptist or Methodist minister, uh, has a very interesting way of talking, and he gets very animated, but he never goes above a six on the volume scale. It's uh, quite remarkable. Um, <laughs> but this match, it, it, it's very similar to the Magnum TA-Nikita match in the energy of the crowd. It is, it is fever-pitched. Both teams come to the crowd through the crowd. They don't even have the entrance uh, like we would see in the WWF at the time. Uh, or NWA, uh, or you know, mid south, um, they they came through the crowd. Crowd was like pulling on them, you know. And, and it's it's like almost violent, you know. The freebirds are making their way through the crowd, and they look people in the crowd look so pissed off at them. Uh, and the Von every person, man, woman, and child wants to hug and kiss them. And sometimes they did. And I'm not saying you should do that or not, but it's got to be careful because you never know. You never know. Anyways, uh, they come through the ring through that piece of string, like <laughs> Paul had mentioned in a previous match. It's a wild setting, and it's a wild yeah. match. And it's a it's a it's just a full-on brawl, punch fest, but it's so much fun. I'll turn it over to you, Paul. What are your thoughts on this Freebird Von Erich match from July of 83?
2: I mean, it's certainly a very, very... Uh historic and classic match just atmosphere alone you know i think um i don't know if this was the start of their running shows at the cotton bowl texas stadium but the but the energy is electric throughout i think if anything you can really see just how big a you know the term rock stars applies to the von erics here because it's hard to say that you know one was more popular than the other i think each one Eric definitely had their own set of fans, but there was, there was definitely something pretty, uh, pretty astronomical whenever Kerry would get in there. And I, I don't know that it was because he had, you know, the most chiseled biggest body and was the most tan and uh, whatever. But, you know, from, from what I can tell, it seemed like David was for the most part, the most accomplished in terms of, being able to put together like a match and being the best professional wrestler of the bunch and one of the better uh, talkers of the group. And with what you had mentioned about them maybe not being the strongest promo guys, I I agree in the sense that they weren't the strongest in a traditional kind of professional wrestling promo sense, but I think what really added to their charm and, and made them so endearing was not just them being you know the local boys and the son of fritz who you know funny enough fritz was a big heel yeah. for a long time because he was you know like the german sympathizer and that's where like the iron claw kind of came from um and he was just a, a dastardly villain you know in the territory and so i think once it got out that he was kind of in charge of world class and was kind of the big papa figure and he's got these, these young boys and they're, you know, Texas born and raised and
1: I've got these young boys.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were destined to be over, you know, in a, in the, in the positive Bay face sense. And, you know, his promos weren't anything crazy either. I think what really helped these guys is that they talk, they were real. They talked real, you know, they, they really, they, they looked like guys that, you know, you're, you might have known on the on the high school athletics teams or guys you might have gone to high school with or college with um, or been raised with, you know, that, that family of athletes, you know. So I think they were just very real and they spoke very real too. They weren't the smoothest um, in terms of how they spoke. but But again, that added to just them being legit. They weren't putting on a character or a persona, so to speak. They were just honest very honest and legit competitors and and athletes and i think that's part of what really made them so hot in the territory for so long and especially with the women and the young girls and crazy they were just it was fever pitch stuff you know so they could come in and or just start fighting back or just grab a headlock or just you know anything that they would do would erupt no matter what point in the match, so I thought that was very clear here, as it is in most of their matches. Um, and you know, the the Freebirds, amazing at getting heat. Say what you will about Michael Hayes, uh, you know, he knew how to <clears throat> how to align his troops and how to execute, and um, knew when to sell very well, and knew when to sell kind of that chicken shit heel kind of way and I mean the the poofed up overflowing mullet kind of pear style that he I mean it It was insane like it was like his mullet had a mullet like I didn't even understand it was insane it really looks like a lion's mane it does and he is so hairy
1: guys he is so hairy like it's all good you know it's all good but he was so hairy and yet had these moves like he was uh, a stripper in magic Mike, and (laughs) i don't know i mean i'd be fascinated chime in everyone if you're interested if if you want is that appealing to anyone like i don't even back in 1983 was that appealing to see that man shaking his booty i think it's
2: a group called the bears
1: yes Um, oh boy
2: yeah i think it's very much a bear he might have started the whole bear look i'm not really sure
1: i mean he definitely had his probably a fan club membership
2: for that yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) definitely um but you know i've yeah i mean terry gordy too with his curly permed kind of slight mullet there he kind of looked more like the the big caveman of the group, and he was always, you know, the enforcer and the muscle. And
1: he was so he was very... big with that voice, and uh...
2: oh yeah, <laughs> just just kind of, you know, like if Leatherface had turned babyface and hadn't grown up to be a a killer, he was just kind of this. I don't want to say simple, simple minded, but just very country, you know, very country, southern kind of boy, and um that's special strength to him you know <laughs> well it reminds
1: me of like it, i don't know if this i'm sure this happened in a horror film but you know like the main uh, villain oh it reminds me of in mad max thunderdome i think it is when um when like or maybe it's the second one where the guy's helmet finally cracks open and he has like a baby looking face and you're like
2: oh yeah
1: it's like a big behemoth but then you cr- you look at his face and he's kind of a he looks like a child looks like a child
2: right 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 i mean yeah there's there's a lot of these elements even frankenstein's monster there's just a lot of elements of innocence uh within his presentation that i thought worked and i think that's why he you know was able to kind of toe that line between babyface and and heel. um because he never really came off as the mastermind behind everything he always kind of came off as the enforcer and the muscle and yeah um, you know, that's where Michael Hayes and his brilliance of promo ability and, um, and selling and being a heel really came into play because he very much was the, the, the puppet master behind the, the free birds. And then you have like Buddy Roberts, who's just kind of weasel, um, come in and get some shots when the guy's down or scurry out when he's in trouble. And, you know, it, it works great as a as a three person tandem you know like it's just it works really good you know you've, you've got kind of the, the cunning dastardly brains you've got the the vicious muscle uh beat him up kind of guy and you got the weaselly little bastard you know who um is probably not gonna make much of a difference in the match other than just to get in and add more heat so and the headgear thing is. Kind of funny enough. That's kind of what he's most been kind of remembered for. Was that kind of period? He had um, great hair. I can't. He had great hair. Yeah, I can't even remember what he looked like when he had actual hair. He
1: he had like a like the um, gorgeous George uh, kind of hairstyle, you know, like the full on bl- blonde.
2: He to cut that off, I wonder if he if there was some other underlying issue behind that. Maybe,
1: but man, talk about. Talk about some gusto to do to to do a match like that with Iceman King Parsons, who was really over at the time, too. Again, we we may cover one of his matches, but man. It's
2: funny because Iceman King Parsons was in the locker rooms when I was coming up in Texas, uh, especially when I'd be up in like Dallas, Arlington area. He was kind of that old vet that would still be used here and there as like a manager. And so he was always a very nice guy. Really? Cool. Uh, yeah, it was neat. It was neat.
1: He's one of the few guys out of that territory that, um, you know, survived, it, um, sure. again, but we will cover wrestlers from world-class besides the Von and the Freebirds. I'm sure down the future, uh, Chris Adams and, and Gino Hernandez perhaps. And, uh, yeah. one man gang used to have a, had a great rivalry with Kerry Von Erick before he became uh Hakeem and, uh, you know, Rick Rude got a start down there too. And, and I mean,
2: like Brody.
1: Bruiser Jay Brody, Roth. yeah, of course.
2: So many have gone through that era, you know, and gone through that territory. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll talk about them here shortly. Yeah, no
1: doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Um, So so I think it's safe to say, I'll be honest with you, I was surprised at the outcome of this match in the sense that I was surprised that the Von Eriks won for one, but for two, the way the match went down. So like David Von Erich gets pinned first. It's interesting who gets pinned, right? Cuz that's a is is that an important aspect of wrestling like getting pinned in a
2: I think it can be. It can definitely be part of the psychology of it where you're thinking, "Oh my god, if David got pinned like any like we're in trouble." Yeah. You know, you would maybe think Kevin would be the most pinnable you know out of the three i think and so to pin you know sort of what would be deemed the unofficial captain off the first fall um we're in trouble yeah you know we're in trouble and so and that's unfortunately i think that's two out of three falls is difficult to put together because it it's it's going to be fairly i don't want to say predictable but you know, a two out of three falls match, if it doesn't go three falls, it's going to be disappointing, right? Yeah, but then for it to go three falls, it's fairly predictable, yeah. Um, it's like the NBA finals, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you're thinking, well, the NBA is going to want to squeeze out some more ratings and TV out of this, they're going to start to make it to where this gets more evened out, um. <laughs> For a two out of three match in wrestling, uh, it's always gonna come down to one one, who's got the definitive fall in the third, you know? So oftentimes, yeah, it, it seems like the heels will take that first ball and yeah. They struck first, you know, and that kind of thing, and then it's like the the baby faces will will fight back and either catch a flash pin on that second one or or have a real definitive second fall. And then it's the, everything will be odds of be against them in the third fall and they'll eke it out and, you know, whatever, or the heels will really do something very underhanded and cheating and pull out that third victory. And so I think I'm surprised you were surprised that you were surprised that the Von Erics wouldn't win on Fourth of July weekend at the Cotton Bowl, come on! You think they really wanted a riot? I guess at I'm the just Cotton Bowl. If the heels from Georgia came in there with their bars and stars and, and walked out with the victory, I ain't gonna happen. Well, I just I guess I'm more
1: surprised. Like, I guess I'm so used to, maybe I'm accustomed to watching so many um, swerve jobs in NWA in the late <laughs> '80s. You know, dusty finishes basically, and uh, some sort of run in. So, ultimately, I'm, like, on the edge of my seat cheering for the Von Eriks the whole time. Because they look like dudes you want to have a beer with. They do, They look like nice kids.
2: They are like, they're hair metal like or, like, rock hair rock guys without the rock ability, right? you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: And David, I mean, David, you know, David, was yeah. he was tapped to be. He was going to win the world title against Flair, uh, which Kerry ended up winning, yeah. I, th- I think, the year later. And, you know, of all the guys he seemed, yeah, maybe he was the most over because he had this attitude. He looked like he'd be on Yellowstone, uh, with, yeah. you know, and, and he had a future, uh, it was either earlier this year or later this year. We'll, we're going to cover it, but, uh, he had a program with uh gorgeous Jimmy Garvin where valet for a day at match. And, oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the promos leading up to that or pro post that are, are gold. Um,
2: sunshine With sunshine in. yeah yeah all that good stuff
1: <laughs> before we get to your match i just want to run down a few things from 83 that stood out to me and we, we talked about 83 last episode and it's so funny yeah. because uh paul you know paul will go into this deep like oh i gotta i gotta find all these facts you know and i'm like <laughs> dude it's just 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 three, just three. And uh, but, he said, but this is really good, and this is really good. But I had found some facts from eighty three in the last episode, I'm like, I wanna share these, kinda like the Metallica album that came out of eighty three. Yeah. Pirates of Penzance came out in July of eighty three. <laughs> uh I, I only bring that up. The the movie had Kevin Klein, Linda ronstadt and Angela lansbury in it. Uh it was a popular wow. musical on Broadway, and um Barry Bostwick played the lead on Broadway. Barry Bostwick played the lead to, uh, he played uh, Danny Zuko in Grease. And then that movie was made with John Travolta, of course. And so I'm like, wait, he had two movies. He was on two Broadway shows that he should have been the lead in because he was great. In fact, the inspiration for his Ace Hunter character in Megaforce came from the Pirates of Penzance when Hal Needham, the director, saw the show with his wife in LA. And she said, you know, he, he, he's your ace right there. Basically. He, he can tell more of the story in the, in our episode that we did with him. Go back to our earlier episodes for that. But uh, well, Pirates of Penzance. Did you ever see Pirates
2: of Penzance? Oh, but I definitely saw Mag of Forest. I know you did. Uh, no, I, I know of Pirates of Penzance, but I never saw it. Uh, I guess I should go back and check it no,
1: out. No, you don't need to. i thought it was an interesting it just stood out to me because i'm like oh this is this is interesting another movie yet again that he probably should have played the lead in but he didn't so uh you know but now he sells his underwear at conventions
2: think of Angela Lansbury. i always think of murder she wrote um of course this would have been before murder she wrote obviously right yes 83 yep yeah okay wow Maybe I will check it. Out. I like Kevin Klein. You
1: know, no, you, you, there's there's other movies you can see. <laughs> Paul and I are going to get together. We're going to watch uh, Empire films. Empire films, the best. That's Empire right. Films. Uh, July of eighty three, Mario Brothers was first released in Nintendo uh, by Nintendo in Japan, in Japan for the first time. It's the beginning of what clearly I'd say the most iconic video game character of all time. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say?
2: I would agree. Um, yeah. I did not see the latest movie. That's oh, funny. I vaguely it's cute. remember the the original with Leguizamo and all that. That was that was trash. Wasn't Lance Hendrickson in that movie as well? I think Lance Hendrickson was like... No, it was remember? Dennis Hopper. It was Dennis Hopper, wasn't it? Looking a little bit like Lance Hendrickson, though. Oh. oh, maybe I'm thinking Double Dragon.
1: No, yeah, that was Robert Patrick.
2: That was Robert Patrick. Lance Hendrickson was in one of those. I swear he was. Uh, He was in the um,
1: elevator action movie.
2: No, I'm kidding. That would have been
1: badass, dude. Elevator action movie?
2: Really? I'd watch that. I think I'd rather watch a Burger Time. Ooh.
1: Burger Time. (laughs) Well, you know, at one point they were going to make a Spy Hunter video game uh, movie with The Rock attached to it. I'm so glad they did. Me too. Yeah. Me too.
2: Keep him away from all of our treasured franchises, yes. please.
1: Then they were gonna go with Jason Statham.
2: No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would have accepted that more. Come on. I would have been okay with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mario Brothers now when you first started playing Mario Brothers for the NES, did you do like my brothers and I did where whenever you'd have the remote and you would wanna jump, you'd like lift the remote of too. You'd press the button and, like, lift the remote thinking that that would do it. And, yeah, it, it was strange. It was one of those early tests of hand-eye coordination that you would fail not knowing why. <laughs> it reminds
1: but... me of with my son because I, I, I was uh, – when I introduced video games to him for the first time, and he was doing the whole thing too. Like, oh, and my wife is like, you're not – it's okay, Bodhi. You don't have to mo- You don't have to move. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you just press the
1: button. He's moving with the whole thing, the whole screen. You know,
2: that's good though. That's good. I think you know, it, it creates some some early movement in children. It's fun.
1: You know, you're talking about uh, the Mario Brother movie, the orig- the one with Leguizamo. The the cartoon was decent with uh, Captain Lou Albano back in the day, um, right? But there's so many mo- video games that could be made into movies. Like Gauntlet would have been really good, I think, or.
2: Yeah. Castlevania
1: Castlevania would be dope I know they did a Ghost and Goblins Ghost and Goblins come on right Altered Beasts
2: Altered Beasts yeah that's... I heard a rumor that they're gonna do an Altered Beast movie
1: Sega's you know cause Sega really
2: yeah oh wow anyways but then you look at so many movies that are made from video games and they're terrible
1: yeah and the Mario they're... Brother movie is good uh, it's a good kids movie you know I think in a nostalgic movie for adults um, they did that one right and it's 90 minutes
2: did you ask Brian Thompson about Mortal Kombat Annihilation? One of the most unwatchable video game film sequels ever? I
1: sure did. He he did not have the most positive experience making that movie. However, Shao Kahn, I think that's his character's name. Yeah. He, I think he holds that character fondly. I think he enjoys that character. Um, I don't think he enjoyed the experience of making the movie. Man, the first Mortal Kombat movie is not good. Let's be honest. It's not.
2: Well, We're also learning about CGI, like early 90s, 90s CGI is brutal. It's brutal. Right. I mean, it's like cut and paste. But you cast Chris.
1: I love Chris Lambert. You cast him as uh,
2: Raiden. Raiden.
1: Like, that's not, that's not Raiden. And then wait, Raiden in the sequel is James Remar, I think.
2: Yeah, it is. And I don't know why you wouldn't cast Jean-Claude himself as Johnny Cage. I saying know. It's not- that would have been perfect, but I think they. To say we're veering off because sorry, then we'll end up in Street Fighter Two realm, and that's the whole other debacle. It is a
1: debacle. I'll, I'll button up eighty three really quick with um, the, the end of the month of eighty three. Friday night videos premiered on NBC.
0: Tonight, on Friday Night Videos, brand new videos from Billy Joel and Cheap Trick, Def Leppard, John Cougar, Madness, a video vote between Robert Plant and ZZ Top, with a free Friday Night Videos t-shirt given away every 15 seconds during the voting. Classic videos from Tom Petty and Santana, a private reel on Loverboy, plus Elvis Costello, Peter Schilling, Peter Gabriel. Olivia Newton-John, and The
1: Pretenders. Friday Night Videos. Um, It was created by Dick Ebersole, who produced the Midnight Special back in the day, which was a cool music show. But the early inception of this show featured wrestlers as well. I think that's where the rock uh, rock and wrestling connection started with Hogan and Lauper. But some of the interesting... I'm just going to throw out a few of the interesting co-hosts of uh, Friday Night Videos. Back in the day, you had people like Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito, which makes sense, right? Terry Garr and Carol Kane, which I think is pretty awesome. Then you've got the cast of Kate and Alley, which I think is awesome. Uh, then you've got Marv Albert and Joe Piscopo. <laughs> Joe, can I bite you? <laughs> Piscopo is awesome and sidekicks. Sidekicks and Dead Heat, dude. Yeah, and Dead Heats. Uh... Big underrated. Dead Heat's fantastic. Uh, Treat Williams? Treat Williams. People would be like, these are all Key West, Dead Heat. This is stuff you talk about on Podcasting After Dark. It's true. My other show, Podcasting After Dark. (laughs) Uh, But then you had uh, Savage and Elizabeth, Mean Gene and Jesse Ventura.
2: What was the premise of this show? It was, you said video...
1: It was basically like MTV before MTV you know um they they would show music videos well it was at the same time okay they would do bits they'd have uh like you know they'd have a little skits and but it was a music based program um that ran for quite a few years actually ran till well looks like may of two thousand two I think it was in re no that can't be right the initial run went from eighty three yeah to 2002 and just different different variations of it but i remember watching it in the 80s did you watch friday night videos in the 80s
2: i do not believe so i mean i would have been you were a,
1: you were a little guy
2: uh, 3 years old when the match that you picked was was out and about um so you mean you weren't a
1: latchkey kid sitting in front of a tv 24/7 like me <clears throat>
2: yeah 3 years old i don't i think i was more concerned with taking care of the fireworks in my diaper uh i'm not really sure Boom. maybe i wasn't even wearing one by then i'm not sure i, I really have no recollection of myself at three that's a but good i thing. was not watching tv from what i can remember um
1: well i will tell you that the 90 minute show because it ran for 90 minutes was from 83 to 87 and then a 60 minute one went from 87 to
2: 2002 so, okay um you know you ever saw football guy wasn't he like a football
3: yeah guy? he was
1: all over the place he was he uh but he co-created midnight special with bert sugarman that was the other guy um but yeah he was he was the nbc go-to guy back in the day you know and i think he was the one who helped get saturday night's main events
2: uh launched as well oh wow well thank you mr ebersole yeah
1: thank you mr ebersole and thank you 1983 1983 <laughs> I want to really uh, rough segue into your match simply by saying that uh, I'm going to play a clip of the intro music that this entire 50-minute like pay-per-view or whatever this was had. It had great intro music, so I'm going to hit that, and then you get into your match. Okay. <laughs> all right so paul tee us up what 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 are we what are we talking about today
2: oh uh, we're, we're getting more heat here and all you know <laughs> feel the heat possibly i want to believe in the same stadium uh roughly just under well just over four years later um we'll notice a sizable difference in attendance oh boy no kidding um we're still with world class championship wrestling and oddly enough it you know it seems to coincide with um a recent passing not too long ago of the Iron Sheik yeah the Rest in the peace historic iron sheik um so Mr break your back um uh, all the heat and all the stuff that he's said about Hogan and other wrestlers and uh, things—I'm not sure we can even see on Spotify.
1: I mean, we probably could, but if my son's like, yeah. "I want to listen to my birthday episode,"
2: no. Uh, yeah, because he was beep. we'll keep it PG to G. Well,
1: I will. I will say really quickly. I think a lot of uh, new wrestling fans know of Sheik from his recent stuff going on Twitter and whatever. But this is, right. this is 87 Sheik, which was a whole different kind of Sheik, right?
2: Right, right. This is uh, before we would see him later on as a manager uh, in WWF. Um, you know, I believe he came on board as like Khan Mustafa or something kind of later on. And yeah, so, you know, I thought, well, this is appropriate. We'll have Iron Sheik who had massive heat as, uh, you know, being... This villain from Iran. Um, and he'd always have a big Iranian flag out with him. And funny enough, it was his opponent that I was, well, that I've always been a fan of. But I thought, well, let me see if I can find some matches of his, which then obviously sent me back to Portland. And I thought, well, my last match with Kurt Hennig uh, was a Portland match. Let me get out of Portland. It's maniac Matt Bourne, who m- most people would probably recognize as the original Doink. Um, I remember him is- as
1: Big Josh from WCW.
2: No, oh, yeah, when you mentioned Big Josh, it was like, yeah, that's that's it, Mr. Axe Handle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Matt Osborne, he's uh, one of the one of the toughest brawler types to come out of the Northwest Territories. Um, he wrestled as Maniac Matt Bourne. He was really a heel for most of his career, it seemed, you know, like he was always, because
4: um, he wasn't really
2: the most technically proficient, even though he he definitely knew how to wrestle and had good technique. Um, but he was more of a brawler. I mean, he was always billed as around 260 and around six feet, you know, so like, I mean, he's a bowling ball of a guy. And Sheik was, you know, no, no dainty flower himself. I mean, he was pretty thick. He kind of had like that muscle gut. um I mean, he's like, he's like a tire, you know. Like so. Did you ever
1: see Bad Lieutenant? By the way, did you ever see Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel?
2: Oh, long time ago. No, I I can't remember it too much, but I remember him just being a slob. Yeah,
1: he's standing there with his naked, crying, right? Yeah, yeah. Kinda like, oh, he's got iron Sheik's body. <laughs>
2: yeah oh God. <laughs> it's so true anyway sorry well I remember I mean I think I, if I'm not mistaken uh, same commentator was that Mark Lawrence Mark Lawrence Matthew Lawrence or Joey Lawrence no not not like the Lawrence brothers,
1: brothers that you worked with recently <laughs> in, in your lifetime film whoa what's the name of that movie again Baby Snatcher
2: yeah, My Best Friend the Baby my Snatcher. My Best
1: Friend the Baby Snatcher starring Paul London.
2: But I believe Matt Bourne comes out to Bourne in the USA. <sighs> uh, I mean, that's cool. It's a, that's cool. Yeah. He's got the big waving American flag. Uh, and he's a baby face. So that was something I thought was very interesting about this show. Yeah. Uh, it took place in October 17th of 1987.
3: Texas Cotton Bowl. From Taylor!
0: There he comes, the world-famous Iron Sheik up the Titan and turf over the Cotton Bowl. And in Dallas, as world-class wrestling presents the State Fair extravaganza, this is Michael LeVance from the Press Box, 12 stories above the playing field. As the Sheik now is saying something about standing up, now he's going over to John Roberts, the announcer.
3: The Iron Sheik has requested that we all
0: Oh, my. This is not going over well
4: with the fans.
3: Let's see if we can pick up what he's saying. He
0: is the is he is As he here he comes, maniac Matthorne coming through the mobs with the beautiful go, go,
3: go. American flag. The stars and
0: stripes have been
3: brought to the ring. How, How Lord, and this of be better than 10,
0: fans you, leaps to The Sheik doesn't know exactly what to do. Nobody wants you in Texas Sheik, so take your bag, get on your pushing watch, you and go
3: make a parent.
0: You can hear the response to many Aghmat-Boward oh, versus that of the Iron Sheik from this crowd. And listen to the chance. USA ringing through the cotton ball as the stars and stripes of all
2: glory flap gently in the Texas Blues. They keep saying up and down that there's 10,000 strong here, but we'll let you decide for yourself when you see the match. Yeah,
1: but by the way, in my match, Mark Lawrence is going, There's people still coming in the arena right now. And you're like, this is the main event, right, dude? And then and then your match, she's like, there's ten thousand strong. And I'm looking at the arena, I'm like, there's people, it's so sparse. It's so
2: sparse. Yeah, I don't know if there's ten hundred strong. I mean it's But and what by the it. way,
1: what's up with people who well, my seat says C seventeen and I'm section one hundred eight, and you're like, You're in the back corner of the arena. You can move <laughs> up.
2: Yeah. It's like the old Clippers games, you know what I mean? Like you could go to the LA LA. Rules of are rules. Rules are rules. They would actually tell the fans to come down further, come down, fill in the seats for better for camera.
1: I would've loved to hear Mark Larn. If ever if everyone can hear me, come closer to the ring.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just yeah. I mean, anytime you're in the heart of Texas, which, you know, let's maybe not the heart. I mean, I like to say Austin's the heart of Texas; it really is. But up here, just north of Dallas, Fort Worth area, uh, where the Cotton Bowl is, Texas Stadium—that's pretty damn Texas. Like you're at the at the the cusp of the uh, Panhandle. You start going upwards farther farther north, up towards Amarillo, um, which is where a lot of my family is. Uh, It's funny, Matt Bourne reminds me a lot of my. recently passed uncle johnny they had very similar uh kind of sense of humor it seemed Mm. um similar kind of body shape burly um and i it just that just struck me as i was watching it earlier i was like man he looks kind of reminds me of uncle johnny that's cool That's um so that you know but again you see matt born as a baby face here um makes a big thing on the microphone. Like, you don't know what country you're in. You're in the great USA and tries to start a, a rather lousy USA chant. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, chic not to be um, shown up by any means, goes out and gets on the mic and starts to say, you no, know, you know, something nasty about the people and not Bourne just smacks him upside the bald head um which brings him into the ring and similar to your match i mean these are both brawlers yep one of the things i thought was interesting was that throughout the match as Sheik would get advantages um his his boots were referred to as the rhino horn rhino horn style boots and i always thought yeah those curly little hooks on his boots you know i never heard of them referred to as the rhinoceros horn boots me,
1: me neither makes sense. yeah
2: I mean, yeah i guess that or one of those beetles that has the i don't know, even know what those beetles are called you know what i'm talking about i the do beetle that I, I, I are those
1: called rhino horn beetles i don't know maybe
2: they might be rhino beetles i don't know
1: I we thought those boots looked really uncomfortable to wear though
2: I agree. I mean, they always—they always bothered me, you know. So, like, when you can get heel, like heel heat for your boots alone, <laughs> um, no wonder you're just a brawler. Like, you don't have to do much else, no. you know. And you look kind of just gross with your belly, I, it, but like mean and dashed. Like, I wouldn't want this guy anywhere near me, you know. Right. Like, he just drips heelism. Uh, and you know it just continues to brawl throughout the match Uh, i'm trying to think of like some other things that i had on here there's a there's an interesting point i couldn't tell if this was like a no dq match yeah or what the deal was because there's a point midway to kind of later on where um matt Bourne starts fighting back from underneath he's the baby face right and then he gives just like a real blatant shot to the nuts (laughs) To the sheik, to the huge pop of the uh the not ten thousand strong the crowd buys it they love it but it's like literally right in front of the referee and i'm sitting there the referee kind of does this like oh well like kind of look on his face and i thought is this no dq like what is going on here i don't remember them saying that uh but it might have just been because of all the heat the tremendous heat that the chic was getting um but yeah, Matt Bourne's dressed in kind of these camo pants, and he's kind of he kind of has uh, night combat paint or something kind of like slathered throughout him. He looks like he just got done like a mud match or something. I mean, you're being generous. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he, he looks like he got done like changing the oil on like both their cars. I'm not really sure. It's like yeah. military camo paint that you just kind of slather on your body. It, i don't know it, it, it looked a little <laughs> bit
1: like that i'm like did he just come out of the sewer uh what
2: <laughs> well i yeah. fixed
1: your uh, i fixed your uh septic tank i had to go in there but i fixed it okay
2: i don't know what you put down there mr shake but i wouldn't <laughs> recommend doing it again certainly don't want to flush that twice did you
1: have some chicken shawarma down there what's going on
2: <laughs> it is lambos, balls Lamb balls <laughs> yeah. Um, I stretch you, break your back, Mr. maniac. I
1: mean he's the B- is brutal in this like he can he you feel his hits you feel when he just like he's sitting on you or you know
2: absolutely, yeah, absolutely and for an outside match, I mean you could tell it was still fairly warm outside, even though it's ten you know it's uh october, yeah, um so it you know. The outside matches are always interesting to me. They're always fun because having been in outside matches during the summertime, not so much in October, um, maybe I have in October. It's usually pretty nice. You're still going to work up quite a sweat, but thinking back to the match that you covered in July, when that ring is sitting out all day in the Texas heat, especially during the summertime, you get bumped on that, mat it's hot like it's it's we usually liken it to like a frying pan Um, especially if you end up in one of these shows that has kind of a vinyl mat instead of the canvas the canvas will absorb the heat a little better and it won't be so uh singy on your back but it can get pretty damn hot they ended up doing like a double tackle which sent them outside and towards the end of the match uh and this is where I thought, okay, this is definitely not a DQ match, or is it? Because yeah. Matt Bourne just picks up a chair and just wallops the Sheik in the back. Uh, and I thought, I guess this is no DQ. But then the Sheik picks up a folding chair, can't fold it. Uh, so he instead of like just throwing it down, he can't fold the chair. So he ends up just like hitting Matt Bourne in the back with the open chair like right in the back in a very painful looking way that I'm pretty sure would have pissed him off or did piss him off um, then they both try to like kind of slither crawl back into the ring to where the bell rings and I then I'm thinking well they weren't out long enough no. for it to be a count out Like, what what is happening here and I still couldn't quite understand or hear an official ruling of what the match was it just kind of seemed to get thrown out yeah
0: Bald man days now at this brutal confrontation out of ringside. The bell is sounding. As John Keaton, is unable to separate these two. They're still at it. Ring the bell again, he says. Born charges in the corner of the chic out of the way. Born hits that iron post. Sheikh is doing something to that boot. There he comes with a kick, knocking Bourne off his feet. The match is over, but it's looking bad for Matt Bourne. He's asking for the Iranian flag. The fans really hate this. The Sheikh has the Iranian flag to cover Bourne, and Bourne will have none of it.
3: Bourne with a drop kick. Sheikh comes back for the ride. Bourne ducks, picks him up, turns him around, drops him over the knee. 10,000 fans roll for Matt Bourne, who grabs the American flag.
0: And even though we were unable to see a winner, we have seen Matt Bourne end with momentum in his favor and listen to this crowd chat
2: USA. Bourne with all glory in hand. But either way, I think it's, to me, it was very interesting because I think Sheik always gets associated with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. People think he never wrestled anyone other than Hulk Hogan <laughs> or Bob Backlund. Right. Um, so it was just very interesting to see. And it also, it's was like, Sheik only wrestled in the Northeast or only wrestled in Madison Square Garden. No, like I didn't even know he had appeared at World Class before, you know. Um, much less, I had no idea that Matt Bourne was a babyface yeah. in World Class. I when he first kind of appeared on the scene. He was a heel. And you know, I know that he had done territories outside of Portland and but he was mostly a Portland guy and to everyone's knowledge, she would basically have been kind of a northeast WWF kind of guy. So I just thought it was a neat a neat thing to witness these two guys um known for being elsewhere. They're here in Texas at the Cotton Bowl, not ten thousand strong. Uh viewer check you know decide for yourself but yeah seeing matt born uh, a good uh five years before doink would come onto the scene probably a good three to four four and a half years before big josh uh, and you're saying, did you have the Big Josh action figure? I did not have the Big Josh action figure. It
1: escaped me. Uh, the You know, Galoob made Big Josh figures. But if you go on eBay, you can find a Big Josh action figure. Oh, wow. He comes with that big axe handle and chops down opponents.
2: It's the axe handle, not the whole axe.
1: Yes, yes. And, and I just want to list his stats on here. Big Josh, lumberjack. Height six foot one, weight two seventy five, from Mill City, Oregon. His favorite hold the double axe handle. A real former lumberjack, Big Josh won all around lumberjack honors four times before turning to wrestling.
2: <laughs> sounds really legit.
1: Yeah, it sounds legit. Yeah, so I-, I liked Big Josh in WCW. He was there for as uh, as, as I like to say, a cup of coffee. Um, wasn't yeah. there very long, but this you're talking about the fourth Cotton Bowl extravaganza. There it is, extravaganza. Did they do so? Is this the fourth annual? Um, and it had four matches on it, but well, at least on this uh, on this video, the clip that the one we have in our show notes that you guys can watch. Uh, the first match was uh, Meal Mascaris was one of the main wrestlers in it. Third match was Eric Embry versus Sean Simpson. And the final match was Al Perez versus Kevin Von Eric. Al Perez was the world-class world heavyweight champion. I don't know about world twice. Sounds kind of weird to me. This match was... I was not familiar with Matt Bourne outside of Big Josh and Doink the Clown. I didn't really like Doink the Clown. I didn't like that gimmick. This was it.
2: I love Doink the Clown. Bad guy Doink was great. Well,
1: okay. I like the bad guy Doink. This was a time when I was not watching wrestling as as much and i think i was focusing i was like focusing more on wcw but still kind of wavering back and forth I'm like the cartoon component was kind of frustrating me um yeah. and so i was not a huge fan of doink uh but i really like this maniac matt bourne and i wrote in my notes matt, maniac matt bourne greater than <clears throat> hacksaw jim duggan
2: um i mean you've seen the standoff that they've had at an independent show did you see that match no. it was like they there's some clip out there i can't remember when it was now sadly i i want to say Matt Born passed away in 2013 maybe mm. um but there's somewhere there's a match where you know after doink He would go on, like, apparently, I think, from what I understand, he got let go by the WWF uh, due to constant um, drug infractions. Um, He then showed up at ECW, also for a cup of coffee, uh, as kind of doing a mangled doink kind of character, pre-Heath Ledger's Joker smeared face paint, but something cool akin to that. So Um, Sting ripped that off. Really yeah. yeah like a good 10 years after that movie i wonder if anyone's seen this um it's showtime it's so fresh I'm, yeah yeah I, i'm tired of doing jim carrey's the mask yeah, it's kind of weird um anyway but yeah so there's a there's a clip somewhere out there of him and hacksaw having and they were in a faction together i want to say in memphis oh really i can't quite remember who else was in that group off the top of my head um but anyways they have some quarrel they have some issue in the match and they they stop working together and they're like you want to shoot you want to shoot brother and like they're like it looks like they're about to actually it looks like it turns into a shoot Whoa. it's kind of funny
1: well, hacksaw, hacksaw was a total badass before he came to the WWF, and much like the the Bushwhackers too. I I, I want to dig into those matches, the the Herders. Oh. and um, when these guys were, you know, Ted DiBiase, same deal. Like these guys were oh. were went on the on the territory scene, totally different persona or more badass persona. Um, Mapborn. He sold me in this match. I loved it. I loved seeing Sheik uh rest in peace to Sheiky baby. Um, I think he my fun fact, my my cousin through marriage um is was Sheik's chiropractor in Hawaii for a little while. So uh and he says Sheik was nothing but the nicest guy. He was just the sweetest man to him. And I'm like, Of course he was, because you were adjusting his body. So uh uh you better be nice. To
2: adjust the tire. That seems like such like what a chiropractor.
1: And this guy, uh, Keoni, he's he's you know he's a lean, he's a tall guy, but he's pretty lean. And I'm like, man, that's a barrel of a man that you're having to adjust there.
2: Seriously, right? <laughs> that's a, a walking dog toy. Right.
1: One the one of the things that you brought up that stood out to me in this match was um <laughs> walking dog toys hilarious um was the chair shots that they gave each other at the end. And because Mark Lawrence is like, he's he's not folding the chair or something like that. He's using a <laughs> unfolded chair. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's really stiff and looks very painful.
2: Um, right. Fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the match ad, ad, ended kind of funky uh, with with Sheik, you know, trying to put his flag on top of Matt Bourne. But it, yeah. it, it reminded me of uh, Hacksaw matches. But like if Hacksaw wasn't as silly, you know, and I thought if this, if I, I would see, I would watch this more regularly than sure. Hacksaw Jim Duggan um, with his cross-eyed yeah. and his tongue sticking out. Like Matt porn right, Matt right, looked right. cool. He looked cool, even though he's covered in filth. Um, I, I dug his character.
2: Yeah, he, I mean, and in his earlier stuff, Around this time, or before even when he was really the maniac, even though he was also billed as the maniac, here, even though his baby face who doesn't love a baby face maniac? Hey, Johnny, Um, do you
1: like maniacs? What, yeah, yeah, (laughs) do you like uh grown men who collect uh uh, mannequin doll heads in their in their bedrooms and uh like the scalp people? What, right? Sorry, that was a shout out to Bill Lustig, yeah. And
2: i like the elijah wood version i actually like that version i'll take it out yeah. Alexander Aja. uh yeah he kicks out of the flag the iranian you're not putting an iranian flag on me brother i'm american and
1: this was billed as out. the matt meets the iranian invasion match
2: there it is yeah i mean one invasion a one-person invasion hey. didn't work I and mean, he's got the big swing and a miss big atomic drop and out he goes Leave uh, old beautiful, as they call it, or what, would, what do you refer to the flag in this old? I think old beautiful, old
1: beautiful, yeah.
2: Maybe so. the flag it it waves high and supreme on this October day in nineteen eighty-seven. So I really
1: had a hard time with the people that were so far away that should have just moved up. I'm like, I agree. I, come on,
2: people! And it was like there's a thousand at least on the floor here. I was like, ah.
1: maybe five hundred, maybe yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well Mark Lawrence is like, "I'm up in the the announcer's booth." And I'm like, "Yeah, you Were you watching it with binoculars, dude? Because that's really far away."
2: Yeah. I mean, sadly, it seems like this this was a, during a bit of a downturn for World Class. Um, you know, they had already lost David Eric, uh sadly, a few years before. There've been some other issues, I think with Chris Adams having a uh, public arrest. Um, yeah. And there was something I think that had happened with Kerry as well.
1: Uh, Kerry, of course, lost his foot in a motorcycle accident.
2: Right. I mean, I'm trying to think if that was, I think that might've been after this. I'm not exactly sure when it was that he lost his foot. Um, yeah, because
1: he, he joined the WWF around the time that Flair... Joined.
2: I think that was around 90, 91 that he joined
4: WBA,
2: yeah, uh, right. Because he was definitely there in ninety two and wasn't there too long after. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was this was kind of a a rough patch for world class. It's it's very much a difference in audience energy and excitement in this match not saying it's not there it's definitely still it's there still there yeah very 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 different than in the match that you chose you know which was just about four years prior so when you
1: hear the crowd in in the 83 match it, it all sounds like one big wave right and then in this yeah. one you can hear individual people yelling out certain things because
2: yeah yeah it's so true Dude, I love Maniacs.
1: right again I highly recommend the uh, heroes of world class doc uh, and that's in our show notes because um it really covers it's exhaustive it covers from a, essentially the, the 80s inception on and it, it talks right. about it talks about these rough patches um you know in great detail with with guys like Gary Hart you know Gary Hart is a genius I think yeah. in my opinion and a promo master. Generating right. heat, and um, he's on it exhaustively. Mark Lawrence, Mark Lawrence is on it as well.
2: So right. Anyways, right. Check that out. No, that's great. I love that documentary. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I think it's running what three and a half, four hours, maybe five hours. It's, it's
1: really long. Yeah, you can watch it in spurts uh, because honestly, by the end, the end of it, you'll be depressed if you watch it all in yeah. one, which I did
2: yes. twice. Have a teacher. Definitely have a chaser when you watch it. Yeah,
1: but I'm glad you brought this match. You always bring so many cool, unique matches. You really do. Like your 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 perspective is so different from mine, obviously. <laughs> um, but I love it because I feel like was it coincidental that you pulled a world class match? Or were you like, oh, I'll just pull this and
2: it kind of was coincidental. Cool. Uh originally I was about to select uh Matt Bourne and Chris Adams from the year before from like a July 86 match where Chris Adams had the world championship and it was the main event and it was a non-title match um but you know I just happened to think ah, there needs to be a little bit more gusto to this and there was and that was a very headlock heavy match um even though I, you know, I enjoyed Chris Adams' work, I I still felt that that, coupled with, you know, the recent passing of Sheiky Baby, uh, <laughs> it just seemed more appropriate. But it just happened to be in world-class championship wrestling. So Yeah, it,
1: this is a nice, you know, th- this episode, we're recording and airing after Sheik had just passed away. So it's perfect to shot make a tribute to a guy who, you know, when people think of wrestling and they, they you show them a photo, you're like, what do you think this guy does for a living? What do you think? Oh, firefighter. How about how about her? Oh, uh, <laughs> doctor. How about this guy? Wrestler. It's got to be a wrestler, right? No, he actually works at the Jamba Juice up the street. How dare you?
2: <laughs> I guess we're both these guys, right? I yeah. Mean-
1: Matt Bourne, I would totally trust working on my car. However, I think after I come out to my car after he worked on it, I feel like all the pieces would be taken apart, and he's like, "I found the problem."
2: Yeah, yes, yeah, true. <laughs> that, or you would definitely want him to be clearing the the forest out, you know, dead wood, so that it would avoid those future fires. Well, he
1: he is a lumberjack. He it says it on his on his bout big Josh he card. Won
2: many lumberjack awards. You know, I never understood why, you know, do you think that they made him just have the, the ax handle to avoid it influencing kids to want to play with axes? Yes. Oh God. You know, like, I mean, obviously it's easier to travel what you can't, you know, just travel with a long stick or something put it in your carry on. You know, I don't know what the rules are to traveling with an actual ax, but
1: Uh, Jim Duggan, he must've traveled with a two by four, right? Which is,
2: I mean, I guess, yeah, I would think so. Or a lot of times they would put that on the the, the truck, the ring truck. Like okay, yeah. they would put these gimmicks that you know you want want Trusty to fly with. They would just kind of throw them on the ring truck, and they would travel with it that way. So, but well, what, an axe handle, yeah. Big <laughs> Josh, shout out to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah,
1: shout out to our brethren up in Oregon and in Washington. Yeah. Um. Yeah, get any fun facts?
2: Fun facts, yeah. Uh probably too many again, but Well, I end up editing them
1: cool. out anyway. <laughs> and I, cuz I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to blow your load.
2: Um Oh, well there's lots of load to blow here, so, you know, that's that's what happens when you're you're Big Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh the number one movie at the box office was Fatal Attraction in
1: October of 87.
2: In October of 87, Interesting. that's right. Interesting. Uh, number three at the box office was Princess Bride.
1: Okay. I think we've talked about it, the the fact that it had a terrible soundtrack.
2: Yeah. And oddly enough, right? Um, and I think it was one of those films that definitely hit much bigger later on in its time yes, than initially. Um, Dirty Dancing was just after it, uh, followed by three near and dear favorites of mine. Yeah. Um, Prince of Darkness, Hellraiser and Near Dark were also up there on the on the box office list at the time. Um, Prince of
1: Darkness is my all-time favorite John Carpenter movie. Is it really? Yep, I've I've seen that movie more times than any other JC film. I saw it actually at the church that they filmed it in, which is now a wow. Japanese um cultural like event center kind of thing in downtown LA
2: is it part of little tokyo
1: um it's not far from little tokyo
2: yeah okay and and like this is with the church and i thought oh
1: oh, yeah the extras on the on the blu-ray or whatever dvd yeah yeah it's my all-time favorite john carpenter movie it's the best
2: that's interesting that's so cool it's a nice uh nice chance to see dr loomis in a different different way kind of you know it's our time yeah (laughs) he did he's your he's ours
4: not yours that's pretty good,
1: (laughs) dude settle down i know religion is your i get it i just love it you see jameson parker with his you know beautiful mustache uh lisa blount rest in peace who just like her her that end scene where she charges like she has to make that decision does she do this does she end her life oh my gosh it's so intense
2: it is it's definitely an overlooked carpenter film in my opinion agreed um everyone
1: should check out prince of darkness by the way i broke it down for podcasting after dark so
2: they should and speaking of they should also check out near dark co-starring are one of our favorites tim thomerson yep uh in a very kind of minor role but he's the father he's the father yeah he's the father to uh caleb adrian pazdar Adrian Hasdraw, that's right. He had married one of the Dixie chicks, I think, later on in life. He was a
1: parent at my school when I was a teacher.
2: Was he really? Yeah,
1: I'm like, oh, dude, can we talk about Near Dark? No way! He was, a, he was a school teacher? Yeah. Was he? Wow! <laughs> uh, that, that movie, Near Dark, uh, by the way, has soundtrack by tangerine dream which is great oh, right and then um yeah uh i was at a fangoria convention years ago where lance hendrickson was there and oh, wow. he told a story about how he was in full makeup with bill paxton and they got pulled over by a cop
2: oh i love this story
1: and the the window went down and the cop approaches them and asks for their id and lance just like is steel-eyed and gives him the he's in character you know is there a problem officer And the officer, like, looks around. There's no one on the street and just goes gives him back the ID. And he goes, you have a nice day, sir.
2: Yeah, he said he looked at him like he wanted to eat him. Yes. Or something, right? And it scared the shit out of him. I love that. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, it's a great cast. They've got, you know, at least three cast members fresh off aliens, right? I think so.
1: Um, Jeanette Goldstein is the – who played Vasquez and aliens is in it too. Yeah, and...
2: Plays, uh, the, the older woman in the group and Lance Henriksen and, and Bill Paxton. Yeah. Bill Paxton. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a classic near dark. It's definitely one of the best, uh, vampire films, definitely vi- the best vampire Western film. Oh, no um, doubt. So you mean
1: it's better than John Carpenter's vampires? <clears throat>
2: well uh i mean i do like john carpenter's vampires for the terry silver factor me
1: too but you know
2: what i mean it's yeah
1: it's not that great
2: no 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 um earlier in the year in april funny enough two days after my seventh birthday uh gi joe the movie had aired and on tv that yeah i loved it that was like a two-part i think it was a two or three-part series um Amazing, right? This first time you saw blood, looking at GI Joe.
1: It is a trip to think about GI Joe, the movie coming out in '87, because I think the series that was supposed to be the finale of the series, right? But then they greenlit one more season, which it's it's the Sunbow, no, it's the Deke year that they did. um It's not good. It, I tr- we tried. I tried to watch it with my son. We were obsessed. He was obsessed oh, with GI Joe. We tried. I have it on DVD. It's not good.
2: Did did, did that other season, that extra season, still feature Cobra Commander?
1: Yeah, so Cobra Commander, obviously, at the end of the movie, you know, he turns into a snake. I'm not a man. Right. right? And um, in the follow-up season, they bring Commander back. I think Destro does. And then they bring Serpentor. They, They basically turn Serpentor into a lizard, and he slithers off and then what yeah and then cobra commander has this weird costume uh he downs a he he has like this cool like kind of silver mech outfit on um but then goes back to the i remember yeah the, he goes back to the traditional uh cloak over his head uh hood and um destros you know gold um it, it the, the animation's sloppy the voice acting is decent oh, that's a
2: bummer i vaguely remember that i feel like i would have kept watching it but it there must have been something that I didn't that didn't stick with me there. I just really liked Cobra Commander because he was voiced by Chris Latta, yes, who was an insanely underrated uh, voice actor who I think also did Starscream for yes, he did Transformers, yeah, for Transformers, maybe a few others, and appeared on a really funny uh, Seinfeld episode. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, if you look up Chris Lotta la T. T. A. seinfeld um i think he's like one of it like some guy on the subway who's like staring down kramer or something it, I, I wasn't the biggest seinfeld i didn't grow up as like a seinfeld fan i've only really recently kind of gotten into it where i'm like this is really good right <laughs> um but either which way, shout out to Chris Lotta
1: Nice. You'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. Um, I know, gosh, yeah, we, we if we go back to 87, we will we will be revisiting G.I. Joe.
2: The toys from that movie were still pretty hot yeah. on the shelves at the time. Other toys that were real popular were Pound Puppies, um, which I like to reference for different reasons. <laughs> uh, Karate Kid toys, the Karate Kid action figures, those were always... The Remco ones? Uh, yeah, they came in, like, two packs. Yeah. There was, like, Johnny and Sensei Kreese, yeah. and there was, like, Chozen and Sato, and obviously Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And they were only, like, 11 bucks. They were cheap. Two packs. Yeah, it was great. I remember what Miyagi said. Karate, come from heart.
4: I will show no mercy. Like,
0: Discover the secrets of karate with Karate Kid Tri-Action Figures. Concentrate, daniel They chop, twist, and kick. The Karate Kid and Johnny are each sold separately. And for more action, look for the Karate Kid Competition Center from Remco. Um,
2: Brave Star, another one of my absolute favorite cartoons at the time. And actually, Brave Star. Yeah, Brave Star was great.
3: And
0: faraway place, the planet of New Texas floats deep in space. Sky of three suns, land of precious ore. The carrion rush brought outlaws by the
3: score. And one day a lawman appeared with powers of pot, wolf, puma, and bear. Protector of peace, mystic man from afar. Markle Brain Star Brainstorm Eyes of the Home,
2: Ears of the Web, Green Star. It's great. It really is. That's another one that I I'm I'm kinda glad they haven't Bastardized into like a movie or a, t- a modern day kind of whatever. We'll just put some fresh face teen as Marshall Brave Star, <laughs> like you know, just no,
1: no. If if West Studi would have played Brave Star, that would have been badass.
2: That would have been pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's that's not bad. I do like that. Um, that's pretty good. Funny thing on Brave Star too is a few of the villains, especially Tex Hex, the main kind of ghostly villain. Yeah. Uh, these were apparently these were rejected characters for the Ghostbusters.
1: The Filmation Ghostbuster cartoon.
2: Yeah, the Filmation Ghostbusters cartoon. These were all characters that were for that that they thought were maybe a little too dark or evil. And so they kind of recycled them a bit and used them for Marshall Bravestar. So Bravestar I think actually started with Tex Hex as the first character before Bravestar was even developed. Wow um, cool. So series, if I remember if I remember the series was kind of built around text packs, which is kind of odd. Um well the,
1: the toy line was amazing. Um I agree. It was really cool. The figures were they were like eight inches tall and yeah, they were big. Really big, yeah. And I had I had a, a quite a few of them. Um I was obsessed with recording myself as a kid playing with my toys and I recreate yeah. I recreated the theme song. Um, I'm actually gonna put it in the episode.
2: Oh, great! So you can hear what I sounded
1: <laughs> like when I was eight years old because I still have the recording. I found I found oh, the beautiful. tape. It's got me oh, doing beautiful. He-Man and Brave Star and Visionaries and Supernaturals. Oh,
2: Visionaries. Great, yeah, Supernaturals. Yeah. Oh man, Brave so Star. Wonderful.
1: Anyways, it,
2: yeah.
4: I have a huge love.
2: I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> okay,
4: good. Boom, 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 Brave Star brave star a time in deep in space planet new texas flows deep in space thrice three stuns flows deep in space thrice three stuns stuns. suns land of precious core a outrush, bring outruns, by the, outlaws by the score. Brave Star, whoosh, ah! Brave Star. With powers of hawk, wolf, puma, and bear. Brave Star. boom, 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 boom. boom. Ears of the bear and speed of the puma, strength of the bear and speed of the puma. To Temperate star, boom, 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 boom. Play, star. Filmation is amazing.
2: It really is. It
1: really is. I love Filmation, Ghostbusters too, but you know. But um.
2: Uh, but did you have a pogo ball?
1: I did not have a is pogo ball. A I was not. My my son inherited my um my coordination and i had none oh
2: really yeah. oh i recommend you try to find yourself a pogo ball give it another shot i'm
1: sure you're really good at it
2: well it's like uh, the rings of saturn it's like saturn <laughs> basically right that's kind of how the toy looks like yeah it's like saturn yep and you just kind of squeeze this ball with your with the inside of your feet yeah. as you step on the rings of this saturn looking toy and bounce around and it was it was pretty fun. It looked fun, um,
1: and then I felt bad because yeah. I couldn't do it.
2: Oh come on! I I, I have faith in in ye. Thanks, appreciate. Um, it. I'm
1: more coordinated now than I was back
2: in in 1987. <laughs> well, Yeah, I would like to think most of us are.
1: Nice fun facts.
2: Oh, well, I've got you know. I'll let you. The number one song at the time. Oh, please, I'm sure it was the number one song for all of us. White Snake. Here I go again. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. one of so, my favorite songs to karaoke to
2: it's a grip it's, it's amazing yeah it's it's can't go wrong with Whitesnake man I still follow uh, the singer to this day on Twitter he's got a really David Coverdale? yeah he's got a great Twitter uh, account it's pretty comical I'll have to
1: check that out uh, and rest in peace to Tawny Katane my gosh what a icon of of the 80s
2: for sure yeah you're right one of the one of the 80s bombshells
1: yep wow well that is a great uh way to wrap up our two matches a lot of fun a lot of a lot of zaniness a lot of heat feel feel feel, feel my heat i i think we should do that again it's a call back to the beginning of the episode folks um paul thank you brother thank you once again for bringing a great match
2: USA. USA. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Makes me miss Texas a bit more. A lot more, actually. So give these matches a watch back, and hopefully you all will as well and enjoy them like we have. No, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. And just keep the territories not a thing of the past, not a memory, but something to be treasured and valued every day
1: I like that (laughs) alright do you like that song by the way really quick
2: I do I do yeah I like that song while I'm working on my lumberjack uh, (laughs) events getting ready for the lumberjack championships when are those by the way Um,
1: I believe they're uh, right after we record this so uh, better get ready (laughs) All right, everybody, until next time, play us out.
0: For America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose? To defend human freedom against COBRA. A ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win. Even in the 80s. Alright, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it.
1: Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four is a five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really